Well, we're going through Luke's gospel when I'm preaching on a Sunday morning. We're in chapter 4. Christ has been baptized at the end of chapter 3. The Spirit has descended on him in the form of a dove and a voice has come from heaven. Uh, You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. Then driven by the Spirit into the wilderness, uh, he spends 40 days without eating, and uh, he's tempted by the devil. At the end of those 40 days, the devil comes to him. And we've been working through these temptations, and this morning, let me just read the section, and you'll see why I read Psalm 91. You probably uh, cottoned onto that already. But let me read Luke 4, verses 9 to 12. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So that's the section that we'll look at uh, carefully this morning. Let's remember the uh, the central thrust here. All our problems and difficulties and the awful situation in the world is caused by an event that happened at the very dawn of time on planet Earth. Genesis chapter 3 where the first Adam and his wife Eve, in a paradise of great splendor and plenty, were tempted by the devil of hell, and they fell. And Adam's fall is my fall, and the fall of all humanity. And we can only explain planet Earth and the heart, my heart and your heart and every heart that we encounter by this event that has affected every single human being born into the world ever since. As in Adam, all die. And that was a real event. And the consequences are death. Death that we don't know God. Death spiritually. Death physically. It comes to us all. Adam was warned, on the day you disobey, you will die. Oh, you will not surely die. God just wants to keep you down. He knows if you eat, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And uh, Eve, seeing that it was good for food and pleasing to the eye, she took and ate. She gave it to her, her husband, and he ate. And then their eyes were opened. Adam and Eve fell. <clears throat> we fell in Adam. And there is the source of all that we see and know. But here at the start of the Gospels, we have the last Adam, a new Adam. And uh, he now represents all who are willing to switch allegiance. And that's the point. Now listen now, we're all born in Adam. And that explains your heart and my heart and the situation in Ukraine and many parts of the world. It's not only Ukraine, but terrible wars, terrible problems throughout uh, the whole world. Adam, the source of it all. What's the answer? Jesus Christ. And now in a wilderness, 
Not in a land of plenty that Adam had, but now in a wilderness. Jesus Christ, the last Adam, is fighting for you and for me. And he's representing you and me. And the devil is trying to destroy him and bring him down. If sin is found in Jesus Christ, hopeless for you and for me. If he doesn't go to the cross, which is the eternal plan, we might still be religious. We might be gathered in buildings like these, but there'd be no hope. We'd just have mere religion. A vague notion God is there and trying our best and hoping for the best. That's religion. I'll have none of it. I've never been interested. May we never be interested in mere religion. Give me reality. Or else I'd rather go in, I don't know, dig the garden or enjoy the terrible weather that we're having. But there is an answer. And it's Jesus Christ. It's what happened here. Here's the beginning of it. This, this fight. So the devil comes and seeks to attack him and bring him down. Let's look at this latest temptation then. Let's look at the, the scene itself. It's a simple one. Then he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. So the devil... Now, we thought last week when uh, he gave him, uh, he made all the glory of the nations pass uh, before him, set him in a high place, showed him all the glory of the nations. We were thinking, was this a, a real positioning on a mountain somewhere where he saw the glory of the nations? Or uh, was it that he was taken up in his mind's eye as we often are distracted in our thinking? Even now, in a preaching service, your minds can be all over the place. Uh, I know, because I've sat in pews very often myself. I, I know what's happening. The devil comes and tries to snatch away uh, the sea. We're aware of that. Was it a real occasion for Jesus taken up? Or, or, or was he just shown these things in a vision? And uh, we can't be hard and fast on that. But here now, was he really at the pinnacle of the temple? Well, again, you can make a decision on that. We can't be hard and fast. I tend to think he was taken there from the wilderness to the pinnacle of the temple. And looking at various commentators, here we are at the center of Jerusalem, the center of Judaism. And he's at a great height. And this particular point of the temple looks down over the Kidron Valley. And there is a great drop of around about 140 meters, which in old money, around about 450 feet, which is around about the size and the height of Blackpool Tower. And I'm sure you've all seen Blackpool Tower. Now, I don't have a great head for heights. Uh, I couldn't live in a high-rise block with a balcony and those nice glass walls. And people say, oh, what a lovely view. That's not for me. Might be for you, but my stomach's too weak for that. I cannot stand going to places like Alton Towers and going on these big rides. Give me, it's a small world, going round on a little roundabout with the kids. That's fine for me. But don't get me on a great height. But uh, Jesus is taken there, whether in his mind's eye or whether in reality, that's not the point. But that's the scene. Great, great drop. Said in tradition that uh, James, not James the disciple now, but James the, uh, the brother after the flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ met his death, martyrdom, in being hurled down from this particular point, that 140 meters 
into the Kidron Valley. Here comes the temptation. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. Well, why would Jesus ever even consider doing such a thing? If I were on the top of Blackpool Tower, there's no way I would be tempted to throw myself off Blackpool Tower. There's very little likelihood I'd get up to the top of Blackpool Tower anyway, but were I taken there, throw yourself down. Now here comes then the wiles of the devil, and he is very wily. And see how Jesus Christ counteracts the wiles of the devil. Let's follow him closely in his wonderful, wonderful work. Throw yourself down from here. Well, why should Jesus do that? For it is written. It is written. Now, Jesus has been skillfully using the Bible, remember. He's taking the sword of the Spirit, which you and I have. It is the Word of God. Let's know it. Let's treasure it. Let's not only know it and treasure it, but let's know the God of the Bible. Holding those two in, in fine balance. Not head knowledge only, but also that heart knowledge that's so, so vital. And Jesus has been skillfully uh, using the Bible. Not using His innate power as the eternal person of the Son of God, make these stones become bread. Well, Jesus was very hungry. He didn't use his innate power as the eternal creator of the heavens and the earth to make those stones become bread, which he could well have done and satiated, satisfied his hunger. Why didn't he do it? Well, because you and I can't do that. We trust in the providence of God. We're thinking about the cricket analogy, and it's... Uh, Going on again today, the, the Ashes test and uh, some wily spin bowlers. And you know, as it comes through the air, the ball's looking pretty straight, but a skillful batsman can see the direction of spin. He's seen the arm movement of the bowler. He studied the bowler very carefully. Oh, Australia have had some very wonderful spin bowlers. The late, great Shane Warne. Now, if you're going to face him, you better know him well. Not only his personality, but you're watching carefully, studying his technique. You'll watch endless hours of videos, how his arm moves, where the finger's placed on the ball, and the direction it's going to, to travel. If you haven't studied and worked hard at that, you're going to be caught out. And for you and I, you know, I, I remember reading a book, uh, an autobiography of a, a political giant of a different persuasion to me. And I'm not telling you what my persuasion is. That's my business. And uh, my dad of the same persuasion as me was horrified. I was reading this autobiography of somebody from the opposite camp. And I said, oh, but dad, you've got to know your enemy. You've got to know your enemy. And so it is. We need to know who we're up against. Don't belittle him. Don't underestimate him. Adam fell in paradise. And we're not in paradise, but we have this great strength by God the Holy Spirit. And we have that same weapon Jesus Christ wielded in the, uh, in the desert there. It, it is the Word 
of God. So here comes the devil. Jesus has been using the word of God. And uh, now the devil comes back to him using the same weapon now against Jesus. Throw yourself down from here. Because I can quote a verse for you. And it's Psalm 91 where we find this particular verse. It is written, if you are in danger... Uh, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. Wow, what a wonderful truth that is. Angels. Do you think about angels? Are not angels ministering spirits sent to help those who will inherit salvation? Do you see empty pews here this morning? Or that they'd be filled with uh, people looking to find salvation? But it wouldn't be surprising if only we had eyes to see. Like Elisha said, oh Lord, open his eyes that he might see. And what did he see? Now this is Old Testament times, he saw a great reality <laughs> that physical eyes don't see. I wonder who sat in these empty pews. I wonder. Oh, and they, they do watch over God's people and they are ministering spirits. And he goes on to quote further in Psalm 91 and says the devil to Jesus, in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. So, throw yourself down. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. And his angels will undertake for you, because it is written that they would do that. Now, the audacity of the devil. Now, notice this, he is accurately quoting Psalm 91. There's nothing wrong in what he is actually quoting. Now, he doesn't quote the entirety of the verses. He is selective, but there's nothing wrong in what he does quote. Audacious, breathtaking in his arrogance. Shouldn't surprise us, and we're warned about these things by the Apostle Paul through the Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. Lest Satan should take advantage of us. He's writing to a local church there, Corinth. He might well be writing to a local church, Heath Evangelical. What's Satan looking to do? Divide and conquer, certainly. Divide and, and conquer, bring in discord, a lack of trust, misapplication of truth. He's a, listen, he's been doing this for thousands of years. We're pretty new at this, aren't we? I've only got 47 years' experience. So I'm going to have to work hard and be diligent and lean on the Lord, know his word, know his spirit. But Satan, thousands of years studying the human heart. Have you read Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis? It's, it's worth reading. It's an allegory of things such as this. Let me read this verse again. Then 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 11. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, I wonder if that's true of us here at Heath. <laughs> We're not ignorant of his devices. My friends, speaking to Christians now, when we see his poor prints, let's battle against him. Let's not fight amongst ourselves. Let's take the fight to the enemy. Keep your armour bright. Watching unto prayer. It's interesting that before verse 11 in 2 Corinthians 2, 
we got verse 10. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes. I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Now, it's about forgiveness here. And uh, we know there were divisions at, at, at Corinth. And uh, forgiveness, oh, forgive the brother, forgive him. He didn't mean it. If he did, he's sorry now anyway. Forgive him, because when there's no forgiveness, Satan gets in. There's a chink in the armour. There's a chink in the armour. So, Satan, we're not ignorant of his devices, his wiles. I wonder, are we? Are we? And then 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's read from verse 13. Speaking in the early church, for such, these men who are going around are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. You know, when he came into the garden, also plausible. Oh, take take and has, did God really say nothing now did, did he, is it really written I mean there wasn't much Bible for Eve to think on there wasn't much Bible for Adam to think on there was a line <laughs> you're free to eat from any tree in the garden but of this tree you must not eat uh, lest you die oh yeah he, he did say we shouldn't eat neither should we touch she's gone over the mark there She's misquoting what God said. You shall not eat. We shall not eat, nor shall we touch. And he didn't say that. Be careful as we quote Scripture. These misquotes that come along. The audacity of the enemy. Here it is. 2 Corinthians 11. Where are we? Verse 13. For such are, for, yes, transforming themselves into, into an angel of light is so, so plausible. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. Or the wiles of Satan. Note again, he's not misquoting, but he is misapplying Psalm 91. He's coming to Jesus Christ not with a misquote, but a misapplication. It's why context is so important. That's why at churches such as Heath and, and many others, in, in preaching you might wonder, um, we're pretty slow in going through these, these books, and, uh, but we set things in context. There's, it's what we call, it's what is known as expository preaching. You start off in a book with chapter 1 and verse 1 and you work through and the author of the book, guided by the Holy Spirit, is building up an argument which you follow. I'll have people saying to me, it happened at St. Melanie's, oh, why don't you preach more on? And my answer is, well, when we get to that in a passage, I'm happy to preach on that. But what I'm not going to do week by week is bring out my pet subjects, unless it's the gospel, because that's out up front every week. All right? Not going to hide that always get to the gospel, whatever passage you're preaching from, because all the scriptures are about the Lord Jesus Christ. So context is absolutely key. He's not misquoting, he's taking it out of context, he's misapplying. 
Look at the things that he says. If, since you're the Son of God, God, God loves you, and clearly he's going to guide you and guard you and keep you. He's coming to Jesus and saying, in effect, really, do you, do you really trust your heavenly Father? You claim to be the Son of God. I'm, I'm going to grant you that. Let's take that, uh, that proposition. And now let me quote to you Scripture. You, you prove it because He has promised to keep you and to guard you and make sure that you don't dash your foot against a rock. So, Jesus, throw yourself down from here. Put yourself in danger and do it now. And may there be this great display of his angels coming and rescuing you. Jesus, put yourself in danger. Put yourself in a position where God has got to send his angels to rescue you. And then there'll be a great display that all you're saying is absolutely true. Now, how does Jesus Christ reply to that? Here it is. Takes the word of God. Verse 12. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 16. Interesting, really, all the quotes that Jesus makes are from Deuteronomy in this uh, particular battle and quite a narrow section of Deuteronomy. He alludes to different passages as well, and there's a great uh, uh, nod in the direction of Exodus chapter 17 here in this particular quotation. Um, but Jesus Christ, what an example it was the devil, he takes the Bible, brings a verse, bowls it at the Lord Jesus Christ, but the Lord can see the spin, and he knows this is a deceitful ball, it's not straightforward, and so he takes a giant stride forward and he smothers the spin with the bat, and the ball hits the center of the bat and goes straight back in the direction of the enemy. It has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. This is very, very wonderful. And what a wonderful principle that Jesus replies to the devil with here. And what a great principle for you and I to use. Do not tempt the providence of God. Trust him in all circumstances. It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 17 briefly and look at the background to Deuteronomy 6, 16. We read from verse 1, Exodus 17 verse 1. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. 
So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Now, it's not long since the Red Sea was parted. It really isn't long. The fiery pillar is there in the cloud. They haven't disappeared. It's not long since the Passover and that mighty act and the Egyptians throwing all their jewellery and gold at them. Get out, go, go. It's not long. And here they are complaining against the Lord. Here's a temptation. Here's a temptation. Why are you testing God? Why are you testing God? So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to storm me. The Lord said to Moses, go on before the people, take you with you some of the elders of Israel, also take in your hand the the rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you on the rock in Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord amongst us or not? Massa means tempted. Meribah means contention. These places. And in that background, you shall not tempt. It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. We're to trust him, my friends. Speak to my own heart, your heart, in all circumstances. Times of plenty, times of need. I don't know what you're going through at the moment. You don't know what I'm going through. I don't know the depths of your hearts. You don't know the depths of my heart. But God does. And he's well able to supply in times of plenty and in times of, of need. And rather than complaining against God, we ought to be constantly raising an Ebenezer, even when we're up against it. Well, I'm still here. Hitherto has the Lord been my strength. 66. Glory to God. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by his help I am come. And Jesus Christ faces this temptation from the devil. He will not use his innate power as God to help himself eat. He will feed others, but he's not going to be using his powers to feed himself, nor will he put himself humanly in danger or harm's way, expecting a divine intervention. There are times when divine intervention did come to his aid, as we're going to see quite soon in Luke chapter 4. The crowds take him up onto a hillside to throw him over the edge of a cliff. But miraculously, miraculously, he walks through the midst of them, and he escapes. Times when God intervenes in the lives of the apostles. Peter in prison. Herod's already beheaded James. He's going to bring Peter out for a a spectacle show trial and do away with him as well. But in the night, an angel comes. And Peter's shocked. And unlocks the gates. Chains. Come on, follow me. And the people have been praying for Peter, but they're so shocked they can't believe it's him at the door. No, it must be his angel. He must be dead already. No, God can intervene when we really are up. But we don't put ourselves 
in danger. Let's look at some applications in, in closing. First of all, let's wise up. There are false prophets who will quote, quote Scripture accurately, but will misapply it. So, health, wealth and health, prosperity gospel. Uh, if you're a Christian, you ought to be rich, you ought to be healthy, you ought to be wealthy. Well, that's a lie. Clearly, it's a lie. Abraham was rich, yes. David, he was rich, yes. But uh, the Apostle Paul, he knew times of plenty, he knew times of, of want. Jesus Christ, nowhere to lay his head. Uh, preachers who emphasize the love of God and there's no mention of justice. Well, God is love and that's accurate, but where's, where's the justice of God? And those who emphasize justice, but there's no mercy. Well, yes, God is just, but where's the mercy of God? Again, keeping balance, expounding Scripture. Again, men who will preach the Bible, but there's no gospel. And I wonder what the point is. And I ask myself, when I look at a sermon I'm preparing, could a Muslim preach this message? If he could, tear it up and start again. Because every gospel message, every Bible preaching message must get to Jesus Christ. And not only to Christ, but to His cross. There are men who preach wonderfully about Jesus Christ, but they miss the point. It's all about the cross. All about the cross. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So there are many false prophets. How will you know a true prophet? I'd look for this mark on the true the true prophet's life, taking prophets in a broad sense, preachers, or look for humility, look for humility. Those who might make a show of themselves, be very, very wary. To be confronted by Jesus Christ, there must always be a deep, deep humility. For us, well, know the Bible well, and know Jesus Christ well, and that wonderful combination. There's one application. Beware of false prophets. Know the Bible well. Know the God of the Bible well. And this takes work. This takes work. I don't know what your regular routine might be with the Bible. Some take short passages, some just a verse to meditate on. Some read whole chunks of Scripture, I think, to, to vary the diet and go from one area to, to another is very, very helpful. But here's another application. And perhaps the major one for us here this morning. False, false trust. False trust. We've got false prophets. What a false trust. You and I must use the common means of grace that God has provided in everyday life. Oh, I trust God is looking after me, yes. But I have to use my own common sense. If it's cold outside, put your coat on. <laughs> Seems pretty basic, doesn't it? Oh, but God will take care. Put your coat on. Put your coat on. If you're riding your bicycle, wear a cycle helmet. Oh, but God will protect. No, wear a cycle helmet. If you've got a headache, take paracetamol. Oh, but I'm... Take paracetamol. Where do you think it's come from? God providing 
these wonderful, but, oh, I'm allergic to paracetamol. Don't take paracetamol. But God will counter it. No, don't take it. Don't take it. During COVID, it's plain and simple to me, follow the COVID regulations. But God will keep us. Follow the COVID regulations. I'm so thankful I wasn't Prime Minister or Health Secretary. What a conundrum they had to sort through. But they gave the best advice. But they're against us as churches. Certainly not. Certainly not. It was a public health crisis. But God will keep us. Of course he will. But follow the regulations. Follow the regulations. Uh, Insure your car. But God is keeping me. He's got his angels watching over my car. Insure your car. It's against the law not to. Anyway. Keep to the speed limits. Well, I'm going at this holy excess speed and God is speeding me about my master's business. Keep to the speed limits. Take that job, but God will provide. Yes, he will. Work. Work. You're offered the job. Take it. I'm not yet a believer, but I believe that if I'm among the elect, God will save me. Repent. Believe the good news. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. But I'm waiting for something to happen. It has happened. It happened 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came from the realms of glory, sent by the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. He came to take away your biggest problem, which is sin before a holy God, which will sink you to hell. That's why your life is in such chaos and a mess. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. What has he done? He lived the perfect life that God demands, but you can't do it. Then he's died the death on Calvary that you deserve. He took on himself the hell that's facing you and me. In my place, can you say this? Condemned, he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. My heart sings, hallelujah. What a saviour. How do I know it's all true? Resurrection On the third day, he rose again from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high, and now he waits until that day that's set. The trumpet will sound, the archangel shouts, and he returns to judge the living and the dead. Where will you be on that day? Oh, I'm waiting for God. He's done something. Quite remarkable. And now, you, my friend, repent. Turn away from what you are. And turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, in no circumstances do we put ourselves in danger purposely and expect God to stand in. But if in the cause of following Jesus Christ it brings you into danger, he is able to rescue you. And let's just finish with this little passage from Daniel Chapter 3, that thrilling passage that you know so very well. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego commanded to worship the giant statue of Nebuchadnezzar on the plain of Jura. And when the music starts, you're to bow down. And everyone bowed down, but three young men didn't bow down. And they're brought before Nebuchadnezzar and asked to answer. So Daniel 3.16, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace 
and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden image that you have set up. And as we know, they were cast into the fiery furnace. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he's able. But even if he doesn't, we will not worship. And in the early church, you have these two apostles arrested, James, who's beheaded, and Peter, who is released. He, he is able. What do we do? We keep on trusting in his unfailing love. Ultimately, he has rescued us from the greatest danger there could ever be, eternal hell, through his Son and our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is holding us fast. So never tempt the Lord your God in times of need or in times of plenty, trusting in his unfading love. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for a brief time in your word looking at what you have done, these wonderful events of history. Pray, Lord, you help to apply them to our lives. Keep us safe from all the wiles of the enemy as individuals and as a gathered church. We're praying this morning for your armor of light. As he seeks to divide and to uh, destroy and to get amongst us, help us not to be unaware of the devil's schemes. To God be the glory, we pray. Amen. Well, I've forgotten what I've chosen for the last hymn. All right, yes, wonderful. A great, great old hymn uh, on the providence of God and trusting in his unfailing providence. Great providence of heaven, what wonders shine in its profound display of God's design. 87 in the hymn books.
And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.